From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. At the end of October, about 1,900 people arrived at a massive hotel in Washington, D.C. for the 26th annual Ignatian Family Teach-In for Justice, which is sponsored by the Ignatian Solidarity Network. Most of the attendees were students from Jesuit high schools and colleges, gathered for three days of prayer, encounter, Catholic social teaching education, and political action. Like always, the energy at this year's teach-in was palpable. There were great keynote speakers and informative workshops on topics like the war in Israel and Gaza and the legacy of Jesuit slaveholding. One new element of the teach-in, though, was a temporary art gallery assembled right outside the main hall. Organized through a joint project of the organization's Catholic Artist Connection and Discerning Deacons, the exhibit showed off the work of dozens of artists who had participated in a three-month process of prayer and dialogue in response to the ongoing synod on synodality. The artists created paintings and sculptures and wrote poems in response to their experience. As I walked around the gallery, one enormous canvas caught my eye. It's a bright, colorful painting of Jesus titled, But Who Do You Say That I Am? Jesus looks out at the viewer, gesturing toward us, inviting us to answer the question ourselves, Who do you say that I am? Surrounding Christ on the canvas are some of his ancient titles like the Bread of Life and the Good Shepherd. The painter of the work is a California-based artist named Jen Norton, and she's one of my guests today. My other guest is Allison Beyer, who was the Art and Synodality Program Coordinator. I asked them both about the project and why they think art is such a powerful force for healing in our divided church and world. It was an inspiring conversation, and it made me want to do some creative work myself. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Well, Allison Byer and Jen Norton, welcome to AMDG. Thank you so much to both of you for taking the time. Uh, how are you doing? Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're good. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm excited to talk to you about this this awesome project and let folks kind of learn a bit about you and um, and hopefully also see some of your work, which we'll share in the show notes to make sure people can can look along as well. Because um, being an audio medium, when we're talking about art, it's also good to, to send folks to use their eyes to uh, engage with it as well. So as we get started here, maybe Allison, you could just kind of give us a little bit of background of how the Art and Synodality Project uh, got started. Like where did this dream come from and, and how did it become a reality? Yeah, great. So the dream came from me and several other people um, with Discerning Deacons, uh, this group that is supporting the movement and the thought, the prayer around women being restored to the ordained diaconate in the Catholic Church. And I have been involved with this group as a friend, as a follower, um, as a pilgrim, and was looking just looking for ways of how could I support the movement more, support this organization, and expand their mission to include a wider audience of people. And 
more specifically around the synod, how could people who don't even know the synod is going on become engaged in a way that also engages more people? And to me, it seems so obvious that art would be a way to do that, to draw people in who aren't going to be sitting down to read a lot of church documents or follow Vatican news um, and maybe aren't getting updates on the synod from at the parish level. So, or don't go to church at all. So it seemed like art would be a way to reach the most amount of people easily. So what what did it end up looking like? So you had this idea mm-hmm. and then what, yeah, what, what did you work on together to, to bring into reality? Right. So there were a lot of different ideas thrown back and forth. Um, but in the end, what we decided on what we would like to do would be to engage artists themselves Um in the synod, so to have them read different documents that were coming out of the synod, or homilies, or um, articles about synodality, and then have an experience of synodality themselves, and then ask for them to create art from that experience, so that the art would be an expression of synodality, and an expression of what um, was coming out of the listening sessions from around the whole world. So the idea would be that when people could encounter art, that it would really be a true reflection of these themes that have emerged from around the globe about synodality or through synodal listening sessions. So we decided that it would be great to gather a cohort of artists and have us meet a couple times. So, um, in prayer and in reflection so that the artists work could really be grounded in synodality and not just be pulled out of kind of abstract concepts or something. So um, that was the vision. And that's what we did. We met three times over the course of this past summer virtually. And we had about 90 participants from around the country, a couple international artists as well, from all mediums. And um, we called it a wide tent. So people who identify as professional artists or um, do art for their living and artists who were picking a pen up for the first time or a brush up for the first time. So it was really um, diverse that way as well and uh, all ages and um, different mediums. So it was a great group. And then at the end, they submitted submissions to be considered for a virtual exhibit and then an in-person exhibit as well. So Jen, you've been a, one of these professional artists that you know, Allison mentioned, doing work for um, a long time. So what? how was this experience distinctive for you? What was it like for you as an artist kind of coming into this? Which I, I think of like being an artist is often, it's kind of like a lonely, if not lonely, um, in, in solitude, right? Like working kind of on your own. And so to kind of enter into this communal experience of, of conversation and creation and and going back to work, I'm curious. Uh, yeah, so what was it? What was it like for you, and what will you remember from participating in it? Well, solitude doesn't bother me at all. I'm very introverted, so that sets me up really good to be a painter. <laughs> um, and honestly, I could I could be in a cave forever, and and I'd make a great monk and not never notice, you know. So for me, it was a choice to join in a conversation because I don't want to be in a cave. Like it, it's just too easy for me to stay there. And so to come and honestly to, to listen, because again, I, you know, when you're a solitude person, you could be in your own head forever. And it's fabulous in my head. You know, everything works great, you know, but to listen to what other people are saying and what they're feeling and realize that some of the things, you know, I felt or experienced aren't just me, they're universal or they're happening collectively. Um, 
And so just to be able to be part of something like that, and it wasn't a, you know, a professional job. This wasn't a commission I had to do for somebody or whatever. I mean, there were deadlines, but it was really like, is your heart calling you or is it not? You know, I could have easily just not made something and just listened along and went away. And I'm sure people did that and that's fine. Um, but so for me, it was actually a, and it's been a conscious thing in my life lately to try to join the group more and not just be a solitude person. And my art, you know, being a shy person, my art has always given me that, that visual voice. Um, when my, when my own voice couldn't speak, um, yeah. So. so when you engaged in that process and discussed red documents, kind of reflected on the synod and then went back to your to your brush, to your studio, what were the, the things, the themes that were coming up for you? What what did you end up creating kind of through this experience? Yeah. So the piece I created, it's called But Who Do You Say That I Am? Which is the question that Jesus asked his disciples after they had been going into they're on the way to Jerusalem. They're hearing all these things about Jesus. He's this and he's that and he's this prophet and John the Baptist. And he says, okay, that's great. But you've been with me. Who do you say that I am? And for me, that question was kind of in my head before. And I chose to do the piece now as part of this project, because I think it's key to how we proceed. You know, we, we do hear in modern life, all kinds of things about Jesus, who he is and who he isn't. And most of us, whether we're Catholic or something else or not, there's so many influences about, you know, a health guru or a celebrity or a politician or there's all these things that it makes you nuts you're second guessing yourself you know and you have to go back to your core truth and what is that and most of us i think don't know or we haven't examined it enough and even who do you say that i am jesus you can't you can't really fully know him just from a book that's a start for sure this practice and the book and everything but what gets you to go participate in the Eucharist and the Mass, even when the sermons are boring and you know we're going in? You know, what gets you to show up and volunteer at your food bank, even though you got better things to do? You know, or you you you're hungry yourself and rather go eat a sandwich. You know, what? Why do we do this? And there's something in us that's calling us, and that is Jesus. And often it takes some sort of difficult life thing or or um, overshadowing of the Spirit. Um, before we, we kind of go, oh, wait, no, wait a minute, who is this? And I feel like the church, getting back to the synodality thing, is in that now, you know, because so many people aren't going. I have a 25-year-old daughter who can't figure out why anybody would be part of this organization that seems to have so many prejudices and whatever. But everybody's still searching for truth in their own way, you know. And so I wanted, I think, with my art to put the question out there. And in the piece, Jesus is looking right at the viewer. He's got the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine, all this stuff on his melted into his body. But he's asking the viewer, who do you say that I am? And I just wanted to put that question into people's minds so that when they go about their normal life, they're, they're thinking, well, I don't know, who is he? You know. And so as things happen, you can start to put that in perspective and maybe we'll get, all get back to being the church we're supposed to be. Mm, thank you for sharing that. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, Allison, I'm curious for you, you know, like you could watch or like participate in the synod in any number of ways, you know, as like an outsider kind of looking or as someone going to meetings and, or in this case, I think as an artist with other artists. So I'm curious, like how did approaching the synod, like as an artist, like affect what the synod has meant to you? And then maybe also like, how has the process and this concept of synodality journeying together affected your art? If we can go at that in both directions, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I will just say that as, as the 
program <laughs> coordinator for the exhibit and the program, I I didn't participate making my own art that I shared with the group, but I did make art by myself. It did affect my art making. So um, I wrote some songs and like doing some sketches and things, but um, so in that way, I was inspired by what other people were sharing in the group um, and the prompts themselves, the, the, the documents themselves, especially the enlarge this, uh, your tent document is full of so many rich images. Um, it has imagery that is just kind of um, explicit, you know, it'll, it'll paint the picture for you or, or give you different sensory experiences. So it's easy for me um, to really tap into those and, and go with that. Um, and then there are other ways that I, there's so much feeling in all of the documents and all of the listening sessions that came out. Um, and for me, that's a big part of my creative process is can I step into the feeling that is trying to be communicated in the song or in a piece? And, um, that I think the, the synod, movement itself of being based in experience and not in theological rules or canon law, but really returning to the people of God to say, what is your experience of the Holy Spirit? And what is your experience of God? And how are you suffering or thriving as a result of your interaction with the church? It's so emotive. And so um, it lends itself really well, I think, to uh, the creative process. I'm sorry, I forgot the first question. <laughs> oh, no, I just, I'm just like curious about both like the experience of like approaching a synod document as an artist and then approaching art as someone who has been kind of shaped by this. And, and so maybe Jen, like for you as someone who's been doing this, like how did the, the synod process, the conversations you were part of, um, did anything surprise you in, in those encounters or make you think about things a new way or approach your work differently? Well, let's see. I got to think back over the whole summer. Um, I, I think just hearing other people's opinions and, and ideas, because again, I, as a painter, I'm usually, I'm working in solitude and I'll meditate on something or read scripture or something, but it's just me. And so to hear what other people were concerned about, and to experience other people's media, you know, there were some musical things and performance things in the mix that people were talking about that, you know, isn't my experience. And so um, it was more just interesting. You know, I'm not sure, thinking back, how much it informed the actual piece I ended up with. But um, I just found it enjoyable to hear um, that there are other people thinking in their spiritual lives and bringing that through their art. Um, you know, because when I started doing... Catholic work in particular, it was about a decade ago. I wasn't doing that before. It was a, you know, difficult time in my life where I encountered the reality of Christ. And I, being the, a business person too, I'm like, well, okay, now I'll do this. And, and, you know, I show up at trade shows and do whatever. And there wasn't anybody else there. So it made it really easy for me to get going. Um, but now I see so many more artists globally that are on Instagram or, you know, maybe they were always there and I just didn't notice, but it's just nice to see that this spirit, even if crazy is going on everywhere else that there's still a spirit flowing and it's hitting some of us who are the, the creative, you know, emotional, like Allison was saying, it's a, it's a motive and it's a way that we connect with our emotions, art, and that some of us are, are feeling and reacting to that without even maybe being conscious of it. And it's coming out. And um, so, you know, we're content creators and 
the, the church needs our visual content. You know, for too long, it's been Renaissance art and stuff, which is fabulous, but it doesn't touch everybody on an emotional level. So now we have all these voices. So for me, I think it was just the inspiration of, of seeing other creative people in their worlds bringing that forth. Sure. So you mentioned a transition that you had done other artistic work before we started recording, talked about your experience in, in graphic design. How then, when you made this transition to, to doing more sacred work, um, do you approach that work differently? Is there a process different or is it just that the subject matter has changed? Um, curious for you as like, what kind of a yeah. transformation was that for you as an artist? Well, it's definitely more personal. So again, being so shy, like I'm a head person. My husband's all heart. I'm all head. <laughs> it's fun to get along. Um, and I don't even know it. Like it's so safe up here and not safe at all here for multiple reasons that you probably don't have time with to hear about. Um, and so for me, you know, when my daughter was a teenager, there was a point when it just got a little scary. I reached that, that point of um, poverty of spirit where I had nothing left to give, nothing left to figure out in my head. I had to do something else. And that's when I really turned back to prayer in a big way, particularly the rosary. And after the course of about a year, I was really called to paint what was my first piece on my site um, that was that was explicitly Catholic, and that was a Hail Mary piece. She's holding up a rosary, like, here, follow this. And I painted that, and I threw it in my Etsy shop with my landscapes and whatever, and it started selling. You know, and I, and I was, like, dribble selling before. Like, I do street fairs. And I, you know, it wasn't full-on business. It was just like, oh, God, I hope something will come, come of this, and uh, <laughs> which a lot of artists know how that feels like. And um, a friend of mine, I had simultaneously found out about this wholesale show. And I said, well, maybe when my kid gets it together a couple of years, I'll, I'll look at that. And it happened to be in Chicago. And she said, well, she went home and got me a half price booth. He goes, we're going to Chicago. And that sort of started it all. So I feel like I was working, working, working and trying all these things and flying to New York and trying to get licensing, all this stuff. And then when I was ready with all that knowledge, the Holy Spirit I really have a vision of the Holy Spirit overshadowing all that and going, okay, that's great. But now I have a mission for you. And this is that whole, who do you say that I am? And what I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but as it rolled out, it was like, here's the direction you're going to go. And then now I can't not go that direction. And it, it evades everything I do. You know, I, how I treat people and, and, um, you know, who have issues with maybe they bought something and came damaged. I don't know, whatever, but you know, how I turn around and treat people how I pay my bills, you know, how I choose what to sell or where to show up or whatever. So it just encompasses everything. But now it's everything I wanted has melded with everything I believe. And now it's one voice. I always felt very duplicitous before in, mm -hmm. in many ways. And now I feel like, okay, I have one voice now. And I don't, I could say no to all those other voices in much, you know, for, for the most part. Hmm. So well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, no, piece. that's the... Uh really insightful uh, self-reflection. Uh, and I appreciate that. Um, and I'm curious, Allison, for you, kind of is like you were dreaming this and and then working to make it real. To me, it feels kind of like a prophetic thing to do for a couple of reasons. One of which is that like, you know, how are you gonna make, like, it's just, like the driving narrative is always like, how are we, like what is useful where we're going to like make a lot of money or like make this a huge impact. So I think always art in some ways is prophetic and stands up against like the market economy and says like, there are other things or other concerns, not that you don't also make a living doing it, but it's not the primary driving reason. And then also like it's all sensitive too, as you're starting this in the background is like the rise of some of these 
artificial intelligence programs that anyone can access. You know, I can go on to Dolly or some of these other programs and, and type in like a picture of Mary holding a rosary um, and get something back like immediately. Uh, and so I, it's like a time to, I think, wonder like, what is, why do we create? Why do we do this? Um, and so for you, like kind of, again, I guess in this time, this time in which like I could see art maybe, I think it's always like, how valuable is this? What is this for? Did this process for you like, change like how you think like, what is art for those big questions or like, why do we create or um, yeah, how did this experience affect that for you given all this kind of background information and things that are happening at the same time? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. And I, I mean, it's very personal and also just about the project also, but I, because art is essential to who we are as human beings. And I think, um, honestly, like the artificial intelligence stuff, I kind of just tune it out. I can't even, I can't even take that into my, (laughs) um, sphere of knowledge or experience. I just can't pay attention to it and I can't be worried about it. I, it it just is distracting me. It, It distracts from what I feel like I'm called to do in my life or what I, and what I need to do in my life, that kind of, um, information is not helpful. And I think art is essential to who we are. It's expression of, of life within us, the life force of God, of the spirit moving, um, and saying things that we cannot say other ways, you know, and that we can't say in just regular conversation, um, so any kind of expression, right? So the written word in poetry or storytelling through painting, through song, through acting. Um, we even had a mime participate. I, all these different forms of expression that that say something that we can't say in other ways. And they reach us in ways that we can't. It's <laughs> just through reading a document or... or um, hearing something that's given as an exhortation or like a, a homily or a, um, you know, it, it, it's not like a PowerPoint. We can't reach the heart in the same way as we can through art. Uh, and so that's a point of encounter and conversion. Um, and we, and the other part is it's totally left up to the Holy Spirit. So we don't, there's no control, right? Like with, I imagine with a robot, there's like some parameters that are going into the robot. Like this is what the Mary looks like. And this is what the rosary is. And here's how it will be. And with a person who is open to the spirit and whether they call that the Holy Spirit or like the creative flow, it is the Holy Spirit moving through someone to bring forth a piece of art that there is there's not a control frame around to say what that is going to be and how it's going to affect the person who encounters it so there's really it's an opening to what is possible in terms of the encounter of the artist with the spirit and then the viewer or the audience um with the piece itself so it's it's leaves an openness that allows the spirit to move so when we put more and more parameters on something it closes it and the, the opportunity for encounter is lessened. Whereas with art, it feels like a widening of how we're not going to say or pretend to know how this piece of art, you know, how Jen's painting when viewed by Mike is going to affect him as how it's going to be 
um, encountered by my husband or my daughter or my neighbor, right? I, so there's just um, there's just such an opportunity for the spirit to move, and I always think about art too as being just like the most basic part of humanity in terms of if you stripped everything else away and when you go back to um, the most original peoples, what was true for them that is true for us now? It was art making. It was eating and drinking, and it was finding some way to make sense of our our reality and, and connecting with the divine. So it is just um, the most bil- basic building block of who we are um, in a nutshell. I want to bring you, Allison, to like any time like a school district's like, you know, going to push to cut. Oh, bring me in. Just do Put me in, coach. Yeah. Just do that. <laughs> Do that on the stage right there. Yeah. That, no, that was awesome. I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to do you know get out there and make something. That's uh, super inspiring. Um, I did Jen maybe a similar kind of connected question about technology and art, which I'm interested in. So you mentioned you know kind of selling on Etsy was a way you connected to an audience and continue to connect and can meet people all over. You know, including through this process, the technology we have to be able to be talking to each other and to meet each other. Uh, at the same time, you know, there's those AI questions there. Do we lose something? I'm looking just at something on a screen and not encountering it uh, in the real world, uh, in a gallery or wherever it is located. Um, so for, yeah, for you as a, an artist who is Catholic and making sacred art, how do you juggle the, the you know, the value of incarnation and also then technology do you see how is it a tool or hindrance or both i guess any reflections you have on that intersection well i live in the silicon valley and my first job out of college was at a magazine for the macintosh new computer being invented right and so i've been using photoshop since it was in beta version Hmm. so technology has always been part of what i do even though i my art is primarily done by hand i really Hmm. do like allison was saying it's a it's an emotional truthful language. You, you can have a one hit wonder, but if you're sustaining your career as an artist, it's something that is truthful. And for me, it's different doing it with my hands than trying to use Procreate or Pencil. Believe me, I've tried them all. To, oh, let's, this will make my life easier. No, it doesn't. It does not work. I have to draw with my ink pen on a paper first and then go to the paint. Um, and what I think about AI, you know, it's I try to think God is always both and, right? And so it's going to have good and bad. It's, it has great, I couldn't sit at home and sell art in my pajamas without the technology on the computer that allows me to have a Fine Art America and a Zazzle and an Etsy shop that do a lot of work for me. I just couldn't do it. And I, I have a gallery. I don't have, I'm in a gallery in Arizona. They sell some originals, but it's hard to sustain a whole lifestyle in the Silicon Valley. With that, you have to have other stuff. So it, it helps me for sure. It helps me if I'm struggling with something, I could throw it in Photoshop and goof around and they go, oh, there's a solution, you know. Um, and then when it comes to AI, yes, it's terrifying because we're going to lose, you know, copyright and we're going to, it's going to change for sure. But again, as a content creator and as a person who's striving for truth and striving to tell the stories that Jesus told, not, I'm not changing them. I'm just telling in my own voice. Um, <clears throat> I feel like if I don't put that content out and just be brave and stick it out there and come and talk on a podcast or whatever I'm doing, then my voice won't be heard. And some piece of the truth won't be heard. It has to be in the mix. Because like, excuse me, when uh, Allison said, oh, yeah, you type something into the, um, you know, you generate an image of the Hail Mary. Well, it's the algorithm that's pulling from all the Hail Marys done in the past. 
if we stop speaking our own version of that because we're, well, AI is already doing it. Well, that just stops the conversation. It limits it. Right. And so I just try to think whatever I'm doing, I, you know, I'm late fifties. I got however many years God gives me to keep going. It's now or never. I have to, <laughs> I have to pray and make my art and put it out there and be brave and talk on Instagram and to the best of my ability, which isn't very good. And assume that all that is going into the mix so that my voice and hopefully other voices are all going to be part of the, the collective, you know, because again, I want my ta- daughter or grandchildren, great grandchildren. If they're searching for Hail Mary, I hope something about what I said comes up um, in that voice. And that's how we live on. And, and we're, we're all becoming one. So are we going to be like um, just going down the horrible uh, 1984 path as laid out by George Orwell, or are we going to have some joy in there too? You know, it's up to us and what we put out there. Mm. No, thank you. So Allison, as part of this project, you're going to, there's going to be a public display at the Ignatian family teaching for justice, uh, in late October, not too long after we're talking now. Um, so for you, like what has gone into kind of preparing for that, for a public display, what are you hoping that that exhibit, um, it does? How do you, how are you hoping to invite people in to, to engage with, uh, the art? A lot of folks who will be young people who maybe haven't really spent much time, uh, engaging art in a critical way. Yes, well, we're really hopeful that it will be a a source of encounter, an opportunity for people to encounter art that moves them. Obviously, if they're at their teaching, they have some um, Ignatian connection, probably maybe some spiritual life, um, but they haven't seen this art before because it's all new. So um, that's the other part, if it's novel and not just a, a picture from the Renaissance, um, then what does this provoke in, in us, right? So if we see a, um, a painting of Jesus that was made uh, this year, <laughs> what does that speak to this year of my life? It, it, it stirs us differently, right? So the hope is that everyone who encounters the art at the in-person exhibit is moved in some way. And hopefully also, if they haven't heard about synodality yet, and the synod that is happening right now, um, in the Vatican, in Rome, then hopefully they will, you know, tune in a little bit, like click, click, what, what was that? Um, what is the synod? And, you know, there are different ways through the artist statements and through just kind of our general uh, explanation of the exhibit that hopefully that will be further people's interest and lead them to look into it more and get more engaged, um, follow along closely um, if they belong to a parish community to plug in that way, um, keep asking questions at their uh, diocesan level about what's going on and how can they get involved and um, or ask to meet with their bishop. Honestly, I think there is a real opportunity and openness in the church right now for people to come together and communicate in a way that didn't feel possible before. Um, and now it is. This is the time. This is the acceptable time. So I, I feel excited about the possibility of people getting excited about the synod and wanting to be a part of it. Um, just spreading the good news that it's even happening. Um, and then beyond that, figuring out their own way to plug in. So the teach-in will not be either of your first Ignatian encounters. I, I know you you both have some uh, Jesuit connections from your in your lives. And as um, the Jesuit podcast, I wanted to ask you about this. Like kind of specifically for me, as I'm not a 
visual person, but I do like to write and uh, and talk and things. And for me, like Ignatian spirituality is like very nourishing for the imaginative creative life. You look, you know, even looking right at the exercises, the spiritual exercises of Ignatius, where you're kind of asked to compose a place, invited to compose a place in scripture and to imagine it and to place yourself there and to engage and to tell that story in your, in your own voice, as you were saying, Jen. So I'm curious for either of you, um, as people with some Ignatian background, does Ignatian spirituality uh, kind of feed you in the artistic life? I don't know, Jen, if you have any, uh, any reflections on that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I went to Santa Clara University, which is a Jesuit college, and I wasn't really conscious of anything Ignatian coming to my brain then because I was just trying to get through and get out. <laughs> <laughs> but as I look back, <laughs> I think there's an appreciation for um, the small things in life being important. And in fact, before my religious work, a lot of the work was like recipes and table settings and just everyday life. I felt like I wanted to honor, like, especially the, the work of women, you know, it's something I've seen not honored in my life and family. And so there was an appreciation for God in the small moments. And then just also the ability to question. And I, I find this is really important when I come up in discussions with like Protestant people and stuff too. They're so adamant about something and it's this way or my way or the highway. Well, you know, that's my dad's voice. I don't need that voice anymore, but to be able, the thing I remember from the Jesuit is like question, question, question until you finally understand and to have the freedom to question and screw it up bad. Believe me, I've done it. I'm not perfect. <laughs> um, and just, and make those mistakes. And then somewhere in your life, be able to reconcile that and go, Oh, that happened for this reason. And therefore I am forgiven when God says I'm forgiven and reconciliation is true because I wasn't a bad person. I just was dealing with something I wasn't even aware of. And so I think for me, the Jesuitness comes about in that is, is honoring the small things and being okay, making mistakes until you figure it out. Hmm. And maybe I don't know the zombie or not, because I haven't done a lot with the Jesuits since, but that's, that's my takeaway. This is going to, this is, is going to change Jen. Now you're in. Now you're back. Uh, now in. I'm in. All in. I don't, don't tell my Franciscan brother. I got a lot of Franciscan free, priest friends. Uh, well, no, that's okay. We we all get along well. But I know. You never good. know. Maybe maybe we'll need a, a cool portrait of Ignatius or something coming up. So. I know. I haven't done him yet, so that's okay. All right. Well, so keep keep just keep an eye on your inbox, okay? Because okay. Uh, okay. now I have your info. Uh, so how about Allison for you? I know you are a Jesuit volunteer yes. uh, and have had Ignatian connection. How yeah? How do those things go together for you? Yes, I was a Jesuit volunteer in the Northwest. Woo woo and. Uh, the Colville Indian Reservation, Homac, Washington. And that really shaped the rest of my life. I mean, you could say I was already on that path because I chose that program, but I really did feel truly ruined for life. Their motto really uh, was true for me. And I feel like it just um, dictated all the rest of my life choices after that were influenced by that experience. And um, certainly my experience of Ignatian spirituality, um, of discernment, how I, how I approach discernment in my own life. Um, and imaginative prayer is just uh, the richest experience for me. I It's the most natural way for me to enter prayer and to have a very um, intense and true experience, a revelatory experience, I should say. Um, and so that I, I turn to that again and again, um, when in need of discernment or um, when approaching scripture in a new way. And we did do um, an experience of that in the cohort as well as a way to ground us in an experience, uh, a shared experience of prayer. It was with the same scripture, but um, 
of course, everyone's encounter in that scripture was different. So I do use it in my professional life too. If I'm leading retreats or reflections or, or what have you, then I, I try to incorporate different elements of Ignatian spirituality, whether it's examine or imaginative prayer, um, a discernment tools, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's a, it's still very much a part of who I am and how I operate in the world, even if it's not <laughs> any other formal association. Like I don't go to a Jesuit parish or um, like hang out with Jesuits regularly. Although, you know, I, I know some it's, it's just, it's more a part of like my interior life that I then affects how I, how I lead, I guess. Sure. Well, no, thank you for, for that and for, for all this reflection. And I can't wait to see the, uh, the exhibit at the teach-in. And for folks who aren't able to make it in person to, to see it, there will be a lot of the work shared online. Is yes. that right? So folks, yes, we can leave can a link. see it at the virtual exhibit and listen to the music, explore the poetry. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So we'll have a link to that uh, in the show notes and we'll link Jen to, to your stuff as well. So folks can, can find you and see your your work. Uh, and thank you both so much It's really um, for your insight and your faith and uh, for doing this project, jumping out. It really was inspiring uh, to me to see um, this call for creativity that Pope Francis has put out and really how you just kind of picked it up and said, all right, we're going to do it. We're going to run with it. So yeah. that's just really awesome. So thank you both so much for the, for the time and for all you do. Thank you, yeah, Mike. Thanks for having us. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation with the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to AMDG on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. Mm-hmm.